When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 407 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and joining me again is none other than the purist, or Jaleel, as I'll be recalling him for the rest of the show. Now, Jaleel, we booked the show weeks before Gerard Piquet announced his retirement. He did not tell us in advance that he was going to drop that <laughs> less than 24 hours before our show. So as a point of order, we'll be doing all of that next week. The whole deep dive on his legacy, whether he's a legend, whether, whether his legacy has been tarnished by the last, I guess, few months even or the prior few seasons and Europe and all those things so he will be playing his final game in front of the Camp No Faithful this weekend against Almeria and then Xavi did announce in his press conference today that his last official game in the squad is going to be against Osasuna and then he is going to ride off in the sunset and take the 30 million euros well he's not actually taking it with him he's going to leave those 30 million euros that Barca owe him this year and he's going to leave that behind. So doing a service to the club and likely setting himself up for a political move to be a president in the future. And then we also have that little caveat about the about you cannot have, what was it? It's some kind of, I have to look at what the law is. I'll have it all for you next week. But something about you cannot have certain capital if you're a professional athlete and you can't have certain, it's, it's about conflicts of interest and the Spanish law is changing. Oddly enough, timing pretty um, serendipitously with, uh, with with him announcing his retirement. So there's a lot of things at play that we're definitely going to get into next week. But for now, Julio, uh, I, I think, you know, the big picture is just that Gerard Piquet has announced his retirement and it's a little bit of a shock to the squad, but also it isn't because it sounds very premeditated between Xavi and Piquet and Laporta. And it sounds like they had a pretty good idea when this was going to be announced. 
Yeah, it did. Perhaps a little bit uh, sooner than we expected. I think it was probably the idea was to, to for this to happen at the end of the season. It's happened now, and it's happened in a slightly strange moment, really, when Barca have been very much down on centre-backs. Um, and he's had to become a part of the team, not through really merit, but because of, of circumstance. But it will leave Barca one centre-back down for the rest of the season. And I think Xavi's talked already in his press conferences about potentially having to uh, fill that gap now, which uh, creates a, a, a mid-season problem probably wouldn't have been in, in their planning. But regardless, yeah, PK, I was sad on the announcement video, I really was, because, you know, aside from this season, he's really been at the the fulcrum of, of what has made this team great for so many years. And he is undoubtedly a legend in my eyes. And, um, yeah, to see a lot of the slander and the, the, the poisonous comments towards him over the past few weeks, sure, his performances haven't been great, but, you know, you can't, you can't be so narrow-sighted and, and forget what he's given to this club. Regardless, it will be an emotional one on Saturday, I would assume, when he, he does play his last game. And it's, it's going to be sad to see him go. Yeah, I mean, he's such a character, right? He's such a larger-than-life figure. That's why he's certainly one that you're not going to miss. There are those legends that they slink off and they they disappear completely. Actually, Puyol's been much more front-facing than I thought he would be as an agent and on social media and things like that, even getting himself in a little bit of trouble with Casillas recently. But for PK, you know, he's going to be in our lives. There's no way There's no way that mm-hmm. anybody who follows the club or not even FC Barcelona, but Spanish football in general. And, I mean, he's going to have businesses or things that the, the like and marketing and whatever and he'll be up in our faces in the english-speaking world in the spanish-speaking world uh, and all the different ways but yeah I, I agree with that too as far as longevity and i think that's where i want to kind of take my time with this announcement as well because he has been a member of the first team for 14 years he's been at the academy since he was what 10 11 12 thir- uh, something 13 or 13 years old or that's at least when he and messi met that great 1987 class with fabregas and messi and, and the like Victor um, Victor Sanchez. And so, you know, to see how far he's come, you know, he's been in my life for almost half of my life, if that makes any <laughs> sense. So it's been a long time. And I think a lot of the hate you're seeing are, not to say kids, but are people who've not actually, uh, who can't conceptualize or understand just how long he's been around and the longevity of that career. Because, you know, as we always say, the hardest thing to do for an athlete isn't to be great, it's to be great over a long amount of time, which makes mm. even Messi's doing this season completely make our brains melt and the same with pk where he was very good for a very long time and that is again hard to conceptualize because you're just going to remember him holding his hands up against inter but i i don't think that's going to be the case for me certainly and i actually want to before next week i want to go back and i want to watch some of his best performances and some of Barca's best performance and and kind of be able to speak to what he's going what he should be remembered at as as opposed to what he in recent memory he'll be remembered at but either way so pk that's next week now, what's also next week is Monday. There is going to be the announcement on the Europa League opponent that Barcelona have. It is one of eight opponents. It is Manchester United. It is Midtjylland from Denmark. It is Nantes from France. It is Monaco from France. Well, from Monaco. It is PSV from Netherlands. It is Union Berlin from Germany. It is Stade Ren from France. And it is Roma, of course, uh, Mr. Mourinho from Italy. Those are all the potential opponents for FC Barcelona. And I think people are already starting the whole thing about is it it definitely is going to be Manchester United. Of course, it's going to be Manchester United, right? Because <laughs> that is where the narrative is shaping. But of those opponents, Jaleel, who are you most curious to potentially see? Who do you have a gut feeling that it'll be? 
Uh, I do have a gut feeling it'll be United, <laughs> just because of the <laughs> way everything's panned out so far in Europe this season. Yeah. But honestly, you know, in terms of quality, and we're going to talk about that a bit later, but the qualitative issues that the, the team has had in big Champions League games won't be the case against any of these teams. On on paper, in terms of pure quality, Barca will have an advantage. I'm not familiar with all of those teams, so I can't dive into tactically, you know, who would be most interesting or anything like that. But I can say for certain that now there is no excuse. And so, you know, regardless of the opponent, we should be looking at uh, a, a set of fixtures that Barca are more than capable of winning. Um, and that's the bottom line for me. And so I'm looking forward to, to whatever the draw is, even if it's United. I think based on what Ten Hag is doing, because I am more familiar with his you know, tactical ideas, he's doing something very similar to Xavi. And he's just slightly further behind in the project with less quality. So it, that would actually be a a fixture that Barca would probably have a big advantage in. But, but for the rest of the team, sort of, for all of them, I can't say. But yeah, down to quality. We should be looking at some some positive results for sure. Well, yeah, when it comes to United, I think that is certainly where the biggest draw would be. That would be where we would have the most conversations, where the most to to you know kind of well at least set yourself at the checkpoint as a marker as to where the project is. Certainly because of what Man United means to the world football and how big of a big of a club I, I say that tongue in cheek, but how big of a club United is. And you know, I think the one team I not that I don't want to see, but like for me, Roma. You know, with Mourinho, there is nothing about that that I, I find to be enjoyable or to consider. Or to, you know, it's, it's not even the Mourinho factor. It's it's even another team from Serie A. I, I just, I again, none of that seemed enjoyable to me more than I'd rather see, you know, PSV with the Xavi Simmons and Luke de Young and the fact that PSV are pretty up and down and they have an ability to open up games, but they necess- don't necessarily have a, a, a strong ability to handle counterattacks either. So I think guys like Dembele, I mean, it would be really, really interesting to watch that kind of matchup. And then Union Berlin, they are a team I've got to see them one or two times this year, and they are a lot about the vibes. They're, they're, they're. I, I don't know how to explain. I don't know how to describe a team as loud, but that's what I want to go to. They're a loud team, if you will. Mm. Like things happen, and things kind of uh, now for over a year, things shake and bake with them. And I also would want to see Ren, as people know, uh, in the past when I've kind of looked at other who where Barcelona should be looking at in, in transfer markets. They should be looking at teams. I think they play a similar style. And in France, even though the results aren't really there for Lyon, Lyon are a very similar team. Rennes is a very similar team. So when I look at younger players that potentially might fit at Barcelona, I do look at those kind of teams like uh, like a again, like a Lyon, like a Rennes who do generally play 4-3-3 positional play, very similar to what Xavi's trying to do. And so those a team like Rennes is very interesting to me. Because, I mean, I think that is where Xavi might be able to look across and say, hey, again, it's like our project, but we have more quality, therefore we should take care of business. But mm. maybe one of those two players can impress and uh, potentially in the future. Then uh, Midtjylland is really interesting in Denmark because of their project. They've kind of been piecing it together through years. They know they don't have the budget, but I mean, they were really, really, really well. I, I don't know how many realists I have to, but they're really, really, really well-run club. Not even mm. team, not even manager, but they're a well-run club. And I always like to see how Barcelona, again, who, <laughs> to say that they're not run well, I mean, I think they've been run poorly in the previous yeah. regime. And Laporta, as I still think, filling out his report card. But for Barcelona, that are seen as a club that's in utter incomplete chaos, I, I think it is an interesting juxtaposition to see a club that is so opposite to them and as far as being one really, really well. So, all right. Anyway, Julio, now we're 10 minutes in, so it's time to really focus up get into the tactic talks, tactic talk. That's why you're here. And I think where we begin 
is not necessarily with one individual player, but with a concept and a video that you came out with last week about Barcelona's decisions in the final third. And so we're not talking necessarily about one individual match. I know it feels like Victoria Pilsen was years ago. I don't know how much we really garner from there. But when we're talking about the, the results of recent weeks, whether it was Villarreal, whether it was Valencia, whether it was Athletic Club, I mean, because again, Villarreal and Athletic Club, Barcelona went out and smacked them around. And it seems like with Xavi's plan and positional plan and all that, not to say he's not doing anything different, but the, the ideas against Villarreal and Athletic Club that work are the same ideas that seem to not work when it comes to Bayern Munich or against Inter Milan. And it didn't really even work for Valencia until that final moment there. So at the, at the core of that, I think, is chance creation and decisions in the final third. And I think the name would begin there. I kind of want to just give you room to, to speak your truth about this. And that is Usmane Dembele and how his decisions in the final third and Barcelona's chance creation and their success is just, it, it's, it's an A to B equation there. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Pique and Puyol or Pique and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, to an extent. I mean, you look at the athletic game in particular, a lot of the the joy that Barca get against a lot of teams in La Liga is those that really think they can give them a go. So, you know, typically teams that play four at the back with a, a sort of mid to high line and they can get very much exploited if by Barcelona's positional system, very wide, um, isolating the wingers against the fullbacks in space. And invariably at the end of the attacks is your winger in space, 1v1, which is uh, usually Dembele. So the athletic game, the reason why I mentioned that is because in essentially the first two or three attacks, he's got a goal and assist. He got a, an assist to Lewandowski, cutting from right to left um, when he, was, he opened himself into space uh, against the fullback. And he got an assist into, uh, who was it? Sergio Roberto, who was making an underlapping run. And that is the game plan in a nutshell when Dembele is on form. It happened as well for the fourth goal. Uh, there was some build-up play on the left, out to Dembele, cuts it back to Ferran Torres. And that's great if Dembele is on form, making the good decisions, getting into good goal-scoring uh, situations, and executing. When Dembele isn't, and we know that that is certainly possible in a lot of games, then you very much lose your plan A. Um, and against Bayern, the Bayern game is a bit weird. <laughs> Obviously, Bayern are a very good team. You can't expect to have a lot of chances. Um, but Barca were getting into the final third, and it was simply a case of players giving the ball away or making poor decisions that led to, to attacks breaking down. The system really was, was nothing different or not particularly faulty compared to, you know, Athletic, VRL, whatever, you're up against greater quality and therefore you need to step up. And, and you know, we've seen that Dembele, unfortunately, on occasions hasn't stepped up. Is there a plan B? Um, well, it's an interesting one because, you know, how much do you want to deviate your core philosophy and, and, and the things that are working well in the league um, because a guy can't turn up? It's a it's a really tough one to say. You don't want to you know completely rejig any everything, um, assuming that uh, we know Dembélé is going to play poorly this weekend, so we have to do something completely different. That that that's you can't really do that as a manager, um, or you can, and that involves investing not in this Dembélé receives wide system, but you 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 change it you know permanently, or or you give more prominence to a player like Rafinha, for example which is why I wanted to make that other video I've made recently on Rafinha. Which we'll get into in, in, a, in a little bit, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I think the conclusion that a lot of people have come to on the back of all of this, the, the good performances in the league and the poor performances when the opposition becomes better, is that maybe Dembele isn't good enough at the elite level. And I think the jury's still out on that. I'm not 100% sure, but certainly it's not a difference in the system. It's not a difference in how the team plays it purely is a difference in performance uh and and 
how do you account for that other than get somebody who's better <laughs> and and you know i don't want to i don't want to be the guy who rules out dembele forever clearly his ceiling is so high but if you can't rely on him to consistently perform at the highest level which is what any elite team is based on players that can consistently perform at a high level um, like we we're talking about with PK and, and like has been the case with guys in, in previous Barca teams, guys like Pedro, who, you know, might not have had the highest ceiling in the world like Dembele does, but could consistently perform even against elite opposition. You know, he could beat a man, he could make the right decisions, he understood what his role was. If you don't have that, just, just to finish, sorry, if you don't have that, you know, consistency at the elite level, then... I'm not sure you can make it long term in a club that has aspirations to win the Champions League. Yeah, and I think that was one of the huge differences between Fabregas when he came into that midfield with Busi, uh, Busquets and, and Iniesta and Xavi. Why Fabregas just didn't seem to be at the same level. It's that he was. His ceiling was not to say it was just below. It wasn't as high, but it certainly was high enough. Like Fabregas in his prime was very much good enough for any Barcelona team. But as you said, he was not consistent enough and he would have those those weird matches in the Liga or he'd have a weird performance in the Champions League where it wasn't the consistency wasn't there. And that is why Fabregas remembered the way he is as opposed to the others, for sure. I, he, I think he fits in that category. Then Pedro is a great example that, you know, as you said, Pedro, I mean, how how high was his ceiling? But his ceiling was always high enough to, to show up. And he scored in Champions League finals. And some of Barcelona's mm-hmm. best performances were him on the left and not Terry Henry or not David Villa in those situations. So, and, and speaking of continuing the, the idea of wingers. So I think it was really smart what you pointed out in multiple videos now about the first touch of those forwards, especially those wingers and where they take themselves. And mm-hmm. Dembele, as you said, does have a habit where he gets, he receives that diagonal ball. And if he takes himself farther out and wide, he limits his own opportunities. It's either he really does beat the man, but now he's already getting doubled, and we've seen that a lot. Teams have wisened up, and so they bring that help, whether it's defensive midfielder or if there's a mobile enough center back on the other side, or if, I mean, we can also do this soon, is whether it's four at the back or five at the back is a lot different, where if it's four at the back, that means that defensive midfielder on the opposite side has got, has got to either leave Gabi or leave Pedri and drop in to double Dembele, or Dembele is going to get around the one left back that, that's kind of sitting on their own, and you're going to have to hope that your center back comes over in time. And if so, then that leaves Lewandowski with a 1v1 with the other center back. And so it becomes a, new, a numbers game when it's four at the back. When the other team has five at the back, they can, without hesitation, bring that left center back over to Dembele and stop uh, any idea that he might have to go around the left back or to come inside even. And he knows that he's going to meet at least one or two other men waiting to take the ball away. And Dembele is going to dribble himself into trouble. And, and so, as you mentioned, especially against those five at the backs, when he receives and pushes the ball forward, Farther out to the wing, he limits his own opportunities. And he also sometimes will receive it too heavy and he'll push it forward and he'll merely lose the ball. And while he is losing the ball in a position where, again, it's the final third of the opposite team where it's not really hurting Barca on the counter if they're able to get in position and set up their press, which they, again, will also get into this, where they've done actually pretty well at doing this season, the way that Xavi has built that press. And that is one of the things that has seen positive progress is the press at Barcelona since Xavi took over as opposed to where against where with Koeman, it just, it, I mean, the personnel was a little bit different, but it, it the, the form and the formation just were not what it needed to be. And then Ansu on the other side, I, I think it was very interesting. That you also pointed out that Ansu tends to have his first touch, let him down as well, where either is this season taking an extra dribble that he didn't used to, or he's receiving it and he taking himself out wide and Ansu doesn't 
physically he, he he's not and not, not that they'd say that he ever was, but he's not the player that's going to go around the opposition that's going to dribble to the touch line and then cross it in. That's not what Ansu wants to do. And so if his first touch doesn't take him in field at the right angle, then it's not necessarily going to get the job done. And as you kind of also compared Ansu with, with other elite scorers, he's taking himself too wide, and that shot is not one that he's comfortable with just yet. It might come in time, but because he's narrowing his shooting angle, he's either not in form or not prepared to shoot from that angle and, 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 and finish the play and score those goals. So unless he's his first touch is taking himself far enough in field where he's setting himself up, then Ansu is kind of negating his own best qualities as well. Again, which is kind of what Dembele is doing. So I, I thought that was really interesting. And then comparing that to Lewandowski, noticing even if Lewandowski's touch is heavy at times, because it can be, especially when he mm. has his back to goal, his touch can be heavy. But when he is running downhill and receiving a pass from some kind of through ball or diagonal ball, you can tell the difference between an elite finisher in Lewandowski and then a Dembele and Ansu. Again, Rafinha, I'm kind of putting him off to the side for now, but Dembele and Ansu immediately comparing the two. The Lewandowski consistently, consistently sets him up, uh, himself up as to where he is comfortable getting a shot off. And more often than not, he scores those shots, especially in the Liga. So I, I threw a lot out to you there, but uh, if there's anything you have to add on Ansu, and then again, what Lewandowski is even doing right this season, consistently setting himself up to be the, the leading goal scorer in the Liga. Yeah, I think it's about, you know, keeping your options open and, and going back to Dembele um, and his first touch and his decision making when he receives the ball. And you could actually link it to a common theme or a common problem with the team in general, which is that the emphasis on immediately commit, you know, creating a dangerous action, immediately creating threat. And one of the other principles that I talked about in that video on decision making was delaying your decision is actually sometimes as beneficial as, you know, immediately committing to something. So when Dembele takes a heavy touch on the touchline and commits himself to a dribble, you know, he's prevented Barca potentially establishing a passing move in the final third that could have resulted in a greater chance than him, you know, trying to take on three players. And I suppose the same goes for Ansu on the left. If you're being too direct, there's nothing wrong with being a direct player, of course, it's important to a great threat. But if you're doing it every time, you limit your own potential for the team to create better chances. And uh, yeah, you, uh, the, the, the example that I made in that video was Pedri, who is probably the best at it. He very rarely, although presented with good opportunities, and some fans get a bit annoyed about this, but even if he has a good opportunity to hit, you know, a diagonal ball or a through ball or whatever, he'll usually delay his decision. And nine times out of 10, that actually creates a better opportunity for himself, completely the opposite mentality to Dembele. And I think in general, aside from his, you know, on and off ability to beat a player or, or commit or um, execute a final pass, another thing that, that holds Dembele back is by committing to these these dribbles, these threatening actions, the team just don't keep the ball well enough. And against the, again, against the, the more elite opposition like Bayern, for example, the more you give the ball away, the it's much, much harder to get it back than it is against, you know, uh, most La Liga opponents. So every single time you lose the ball, the relative problem is, is increased greatly because it might be another five, 10 minutes before you get the ball back. That's why the, well... The, the most polished positional play side on the planet, Man City, 
their wingers are incredible ball retention specialists very rarely receive give the ball away you know in a deep position uh, because it allows city to establish possession in the final third put together their passing moves and keep the opponent pinned there if you're giving it away too much you just don't give yourself the opportunity to do so so it's a two-pronged issue um when we're talking about you know that first touch and that emphasis on driving forward one you don't get it right all the time and two you don't give your team the chance to settle in possession well for pedri of course that word we have in spanish is, is pausa and that's mm. something that iniesta did almost better than everyone else that's why I, I always tell people as enjoyable yes of course messi is is magical and xavi was i i think not say the better player but more influential to games iniesta is always a player i point to and say that was the guy that i enjoyed watching the most and always will like that's the first guy i was always i would always want to show some kind of alien that would come down and say who do you want to see and i, I would i would point to iniesta because it was kind of like he, I mean, Pedri, and Pedri had a similar quality. And it, it is kind of like getting in a, a taxi or a ride share where within the first two stoplights, maybe that's because I'm always the driver in our car with my wife. So I'm always a driver. So I know kind of what I want. I'm a very safe driver and I pride myself on being a good driver too. So within <laughs> the first two or three stoplights, I know whether or not, not say that I'm good in good hands, you know, because, you know, you never want to be in a dangerous position. But I, I always know when the driver is somebody that you feel like it just, it, it's seamless, right? They're, they're they're stopping when they need to. They're rolling into the stops. They're, they're <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not turning too yeah. sharply or whatever. And it's just a comfortable ride, right? And that is what, what Pedri is. It's not stop and start. It's kind of, it's gliding into slowing things down. It's speeding up when it needs to be. And that's something that, you know, I think as a Kool-Aid, you kind of pride yourself on having players that have just an innate elite ability to do that. It does feel like you're on the ride with your team. And it feels like the other team, if they get a counterattacking goal, I mean, that's football, but you always feel like that's what keeps Barcelona in control is that they're choosing when things are slowed up, when things are, are, are slowed down. And for Pedri, he just does that at such a, an elite level. And then, yeah, I don't need to finish that analogy, but of course, yeah, you get in that car and three stoplights in, I'm like, oh no, like, I mean, it would, <laughs> you know, you get a, you get a headache because how much, and you just, when you finally get out of the car, you just, oh, thank goodness, it's, we're on solid ground again. And sometimes that is kind of the Dembele experience. Sometimes at 90 minutes in, you're like, oh my gosh, Barcelona won, what, 4 nothing, 4-1, right? And it's like, but it's like, it's whiplash and, and that's what it can be sometimes. So speaking of those wingers though, Rafinha, and I'm going to kind of, I don't, I want to give you the room to, if you want to give away most of your video, if not, <laughs> but why has Rafinha been sputtering, I think is the question. And then you gave multiple reasons, uh, starting with his passing, as you argued, might be more important than his shooting and his scoring. Which he does only have one goal, though, so it's not like his scoring has had been utterly significant. Yeah, but more important than his dribbling as well, which is the important part. Because mm. when we talk about, you know, when I mentioned earlier about the the plan really to get it over to Dembele, and then he dribbles and creates, you know, threat. If you just plug Rafinha into the same situation, he's going to fare worse than Dembele because he's a, a poorer dribbler. What Rafinha gives you that's very different is a a very threatening. Uh, passing range and in that video I, I likened it to Messi and because he, he can execute a very similar type of pass from right to left which is can be devastating one thing that I said in that decision making uh, video of mine and, and final third actions is that generally a pass into space is more dangerous than a dribble into space can you repeat you, that Julio I, I just like almost repeat the exact same sentence again I just want to make sure people hear that it's like the highlight of the episode yeah, so a pass into space is more dangerous than a dribble into space. And the reason for that is you can access it quicker. A pass can get there quicker than a man can run. And you can beat multiple players at once, whereas with a dribble, you're beating one at a time. 
You can also get players running in on the blind side of defenders. It's just a much more uh, efficient way of accessing space in the final third. And, you know, that's why now, when the game is so positional and teams are so well organized, Messi is still at the top of the sort of creating charts because he is the best passer in the world. Mm-hmm. And he can access space that very few other players can. Now, Rafinha is obviously not Messi, but he has a similar passing range. And I'm sure he's not as consistent, but he's pretty damn consistent. We've seen from a, you know, whether it's from a wide left position or from the half space or even deeper, his, his assist to Pablo Torre, for example, against um, in, in the Champions League. Um, he he can be very, very effective. The question is, how do you get him in those positions more often? And that was the basis of that video that I made. And it essentially comes down to changing the emphasis, like he talks about, away from isolating your winger wide, um, 1v1 against the fullback, to actually giving them the freedom to come inside. You still need that width, though. And that's the problem that Barca has right now, is that on the right-hand side, who's going to hold the width if you give Rafinha license to be more of a messy creative type you need a Dani Alves so who's the Dani Alves um and right now there isn't one no no there's not <laughs> there is not I mean even so the fact that we've been multiple times this season saying oh Sergio Berto I mean he's the best option to make those underlapping runs and I mean occasionally overlapping runs but again I've been very critical of the partnership between Dembele and Roberto, while neither of them have been, ever been on the field together for more than like three weeks until this season, but even the season, Roberto has been uh, out again uh, and MLA has been largely healthy. And now kind of moving over to Bayern and, you know, I, the reason I want to go all the way back to Bayern is because even though the Champions League is done and it's in the rear view mirror, the this team is going to consistently going to be judged this season on what they do against the best opponents that they have left, whether that's in the Europa League against somebody down the road or even against potentially Manchester United or Roma or, or Monaco or whatever. And this team is also going to be judged, again, when, they're, when their backs are against the wall or when a team kind of figures them out in the Liga, which could be with five at the back and they have to break that down. But again, the, the best version of a team that Barca have seen this season, no disrespect to Inter or Real Madrid, but that was Bayern Munich. Um, mm-hmm. But you kind of went in a different direction with this and said, you know, you and I were kind of setting this show up and trying to figure out, you know, how we discuss this. And I think it is discussing that against Bayern Munich, you were optimistic about what Xavi was putting forward and his plan in that game and what Barcelona did execute. But the problematic part of it was, I think what, you know, as, as I, as people who listen to the show after heard me or my five headlines or whatever, the drop in quality and the fact that Bayern just have these elite players who fill their roles to an absolute T was just better than what Barca can put on the field. And sometimes that is the difference. That is the gap between two teams. But yeah, there's there's different ideas here. We can go, Julio. I can offer up to you, you know, breaking Bayern's press by having Pedri on the left wing. We can talk about that. How Barca's press actually gave Bayern a little bit of trouble. How Bayern was utilizing tactical fouls, which you might say is the, the, cur- the coward's way out, but they did. <laughs> and then also what Barcelona does playing against a high line. What And how... Bayern kind of triggered their press against Barcelona, had a little bit of success. But I think the bigger question for that as well, when teams are going to press well, which Athletic Club, believe it or not, tried to do in the same way, then Barcelona completely figured them out. But what happens when Ronaldo Rajo is integrated back in? And I mean, because we've seen different teams have different activations against Barcelona's press, with the exception of prior to Ronaldo Rajo going out, where Araujo receiving the ball is generally the activation, whether that's to actually give him space 
to either drive forward or to try to pass and break through lines, or they actually do press against Araujo and they bring, you know, intensity and force his way to kind of force him into a mistake and force him to go backwards to Ter Stegen and create a problem, especially when he's at the right back spot. So I think while questions against Bayern are going to be left unanswered, there are also questions that their success against Bayern do leave, I think, up for, for grabs later on down the road when someone like Araujo returns. Yeah, I got a fair amount of criticism for that Bayern um, analysis, and I completely understand why. You lose a game 3-0 in the Champions League, yeah. and and you you sort of want, especially if you're passionate about your club, you sort of want them to be berated and say, look how bad we are compared to them. We should be much better. And that's, that's um, a shame too, Joel, because I have never once in all these years ever received any negative feedback at all. It's, it's <laughs> No, yeah. just my Twitter mentions or my YouTube com or the YouTube comments maybe worse. And again, you're on YouTube too, so I can tell you that that is that's say the worst of the worst. But when it comes to Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, or or my emails, even the emails are the are the ones I'm proud of. When when I really when I get one in the inbox, it's like, oh hey, yeah, actually, I took the time to find your email to let you know that that you're a big old dummy. So, Julia, I don't think you're a dummy. You didn't get any bad stuff from me, but yeah, let's get back into it. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely get it. The point that I was trying to make was not that Barca were better or should have won the game. Of course not. The point was that they were competitive and that tactically, when we've seen Barca lose to Bayern in the past in embarrassing fashions, they've just been playing a backwards brand of football. Whereas this time, they actually matched Bayern tactically um, for a lot of, of, of the game. And yes, in my opinion, it did come down to moments of quality. Because you know Bayern's goals in particular happened in moments of Barca's uh, advantage, really. The idea for Barca was to put pressure on Bayern to the f so that they had to go back all the way to the goalkeeper and kick along. And when they did kick along, Bayern had the quality to actually worm their way out of it and then exploit the space in behind. You made a point about Araujo being back in the team and he would have significantly improved Barca's chances against these, these long balls or these forward right. direct forward passes. Koundé is obviously a very good uh, and patient defender who controls space very well, but one versus one up against a physical centre forward, he's he's not the biggest. He's not going to come through the back of you like um, Delix was going through the back of you know Lewandowski. Um, and so Araujo greatly increases Barca's chances of of that press succeeding. Now that sort of leads onto what I consider to be the the most interesting talking point when it came to Bayern because. If we're going to concede that the team has less quality, should the coach be changing his uh, system or ideas to account for that and not play into the opponent's hands and give, you know, play a high line against the likes of Mane and Gnabry who are going to eat alive? <laughs> because in the league, Barca have the qualitative advantage against basically every team except Real Madrid, which means you can play your system and control the game and you're not going to get exploited. When you're at a qualitative disadvantage, is there a question that Xavi should perhaps be a little more conservative? Should he have given Bayern more possession? Should he, be should he have allowed them to have more control so that they have to actually break you down rather than exploit you know, a very high line at the back? And I think that question is, is still up for debate. I don't think there's a clear answer either way. Because if you do give Bayern more possession, if you say, okay, we're actually going to let you, you know, move the ball to the halfway line, and then we're going to sit back in a shape. When do Barca ever sit back in a shape? Do you trust 
Marcus Alonso and and you know Sergio Roberto and whoever else to defend in a four four two mid block. Well, I was about to say that that would you rather have Hector Bellerin pseudo defending for sixty percent of the time, or would you rather have him defending him for his life on three occasions? Right, exactly. He was defending exactly. for his life three times, and he got beat horribly twice. As opposed to yeah, if he, if you have Hector Bellerin, you're giving him sixty percent or sixty five percent of the time to make a mistake. And Bayern is going to make a mistake in that time because, I mean, as what we've seen, I mean, Bayern was not ready for that game against Bayern Munich, the second one. And I mean, not to say that that game mattered because Barcelona already had the Champions League, but yeah, Bayern certainly wasn't there. And I mean, this is kind of the last idea too, Jaleel, about assigning blame here. And and this is kind of what you're, you're, we're kind of dancing around. And mm. what I think is, is impossible because again, there's no, there's no number percentage where it's like, oh, that Inter loss was. 40 or 42% against uh, uh, Xavi. It was 30%. Well, that's too high already, but it was 18 against Xavi blame wise. It was 18 for PK. It was 14 for Busquets. You know what I mean? We're not doing that. But, you know, sometimes Xavi does get it wrong. Like I, I mm-hmm. said in the first match against Inter Milan, he just, he got it wrong by starting Marcos Alonso as that left back when you're unable to, against a five at the back, if you're unable to go wide especially if Inter, again, everything for them, they were numerically strong-siding Dembele's side and Barcelona's right flank. So if you have nothing coming down your left flank and you're unable to get around that that right fullback, he's able to tuck in and shut everything down in the middle of the field as well. And so I think Alonso was the wrong choice. It had to be Balde, and it was Alonso. And it really, it wasn't even Alonso's fault. Like He didn't play poorly, but it shut everything that Barcelona was trying to do on that left side against Inter the first time. But then there are all these other times, against, especially against Bayern, both times. And you can almost argue Inter the second time and Real Madrid as well, that the quality of the player just isn't there. Be it Bayerine or Alonso or Dembele, we've issued, we talked about when he's not on his day, it's bad. Um, mm-hmm. And then even Lewandowski, that first matchup against Bayern Munich, Lewandowski's quality wasn't what it needed to be. And that was a difference in that game, the first game against Bayern, I should say. And so I, I think it's interesting. It's an interesting conversation to have about Xavi because we can do this with every manager, um, and not just in in this sport, in, in basketball, in football, wherever, you know, American football, I mean, or hockey, whatever, basketball, whatever, like the how much blame and what you question of your coach, does a coach have a locker room, right? And I think that was the thing about Kuman, where Kuman kind of let everybody down and that he was fine enough when it came to tactics, it wasn't great, but it also wasn't as bad as people thought, but he also was fine in the locker room, but he just also didn't seem to have the ear of the players that you needed to have. So it seems like he got, a, he, had, he had 70% of both of those things, which is a failing grade. That's why his team was in ninth place to start last season. And for Xavi, it seems like, I, I think whether he has his locker room or not, I think this PK decision answers a lot of that. I think PK retiring in this moment, having had a conversation with Xavi and Xavi choosing to have that conversation with him in the summer, it tells you a lot about how Xavi controls that locker room. And I mean, I guess in essence, it's easier to have a young team that is yet to have success. It's a lot harder to kind of wrangle in all those players who've already had their success and mm-hmm. they might feel it came under their own merit. So I think his, the, as far as does he have the locker room, I think the answer is still yes to, to a degree. And then his tactics and his plan, well, that is also where I think the jury is still out because while uh, the, the idea would be for Xavi is if you gave him every player that does what he wants to, to the letter, what kind of success would Barca have? And I think there is that that's a fair question to ask that once Xavi has in January, and that'll be the difficulty too, going all the way back to PK that Xavi mentioned in that press conference, Hey, I think the club is going to be looking for a left-footed center back in January. And, and that's true because one, it's a one-to-one as opposed to the four-to-one that'll be back at the summertime because of losing all that revenue from the champions league. And two, 
Inigo Martinez from Athletic Club has already been linked to the club a number of times. And as I've said before, a left-footed experienced center back in the Liga who has a Spanish passport, like <laughs> where there's smoke, <laughs> there's fire. Like, I mean, I just believe it. Believe it with those rumors. Like that's not some name out of left field. Like when people mention, I saw in your comments where people are mentioning Frimpong who plays at Leverkusen as a right-back option or Malo Gusto for Lyon. Like nothing has been linked with those players. They're players who are under contract for multiple seasons. They're young. They're going to be expensive and they're not, again, they're not Spanish. Those, those happen to have European passports, but you, you can't just pick a name in the world and say, oh, that player might be linked to Barcelona. But yeah, if it's an experience over 30, I mean, not over 30 in a bad way, well, he might actually be 30. Nico Martinez might be 28, 29. But anyway, so a player in his prime, right? In his, mm-hmm. in his absolute prime, who's left-footed, <laughs> you know, and then Xavi mentions in a press conference, hey, in January, we might be looking to reinforce that, <laughs> that position. So mm-hmm. then you, you kind of have to believe it. Because, again, Xavi needs players that are going to be of the quality, but also able to execute what he wants to do. And that's why when I see things like today, like Alonso potentially is going to renew for two years. Or that Bayerine on the same day said, hey, he would like to renew at Barcelona. Those kind of puzzle me a bit because it's like, oh, it sounds like that's coming from those players' agents. Because if I'm Xavi, I looked at what Alonso did for me this year already, and I looked at what Bayerine did, and I said, absolutely not. Like, even if we bring another free transfer. Like maybe another free transfer might be better than what they have provided so far because they cannot execute what I'm trying to do to the, to the level I need it to be executed. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one whether, you know, how much does Xavi adapt now to, to deal with these players that aren't at the quality that he needs, knowing that he's planning for a future, which is, you know, he clearly has a very solid idea of what he wants from, from you know, in, in let's say two, three years time from this squad. So... I mean, when it comes to assigning blame and, you know, it's not really what I want to do because I think everything has become a blame game now in terms of, oh, we lost the football match, you know, like you said, what percentage should we give to to everybody? Sometimes your opponents are just good at football and and that seems to be completely forgotten in an analysis and discussion these days. 100%. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny so many times I often say that, like, I mean, so many times in the Liga, if Barcelona don't get a result, like, can you just give Kadith a little bit of, uh, I know it's always Kadith, but Kadith a little bit of credit, <laughs> or Elche a little bit of credit. It wasn't just their goalkeeper was was a prime goalkeeper. It was that, like, they had a good they had a good game plan against Barca, and they executed. Even if their players weren't as good, they executed as a team, and sometimes you, you just have to tip your hat to your opponent. And, like, it's okay to do that. Like, you're not a coward. It doesn't make you weak to say that something yeah. else is okay. Like, you don't have to double down on it. And, and you look at the teams that Barca have struggled against this season, Inter Milan, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid. <laughs> That's it. That's it. And oh, so, Cano to start the year as well. Rio Cano, yeah. Who, okay. Who actually have proven to be a top half team in the Liga. Like they're, they're, they've started well and they were good last year too in the first half of the season. So yeah, I mean, Rio, and, and like Rio. you were saying, they they had a good game plan and they executed it well. It was it was you know it was one of those where you know hats off to your opponent because they played well. But aside from that, you you'd seen Barca dismantle the likes of Sevilla, dismantle Athletic Club. Um, dismantle yeah, I don't know about to be right now, but yes, athletic club. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Real, you know. Yeah, th- th- that's no joke. I know that La Liga people say is is you know much poorer than it has been, and that's probably fair enough. But but to get these kind of results against these teams is no joke, and that says to me that the direction that that Xavi is pointing this team towards, the model, the game model that he's that he's implementing, when you have players that are better than your opponent it works because you need players that are better than your opponent to win things you know we we have to take that as as a prerequisite and so when you do have those players it's your job as a manager to set up a a, a game plan that makes the most out of that advantage like you know Pepston at man city and 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 
you know, all the serial winners have done. Ancelotti's managed teams that have incredible players, <laughs> always, and and that's the primary reason why they've won things. If you then lo- if you then add on a very consistent and uh, well thought out footballing model that gives you advantages in the right places, then you're going to have a good project. And in my opinion, that's what Xavi has. He has a good footballing mind that understands, you know, tactically against specific opponents. How do I tweak the shape slightly to get a, a free man here, a numerical advantage here, you know? And sure, he's going to make mistakes, like you said. And certainly against the Inter game with, with Alonso and with Rafinha playing on the left made absolutely no sense. He's learning. We have to accept that this process is is involves Xavi as well. He is part of the process of learning and improving. But for my money, from what I've seen against the elite opposition, it does come down mostly to quality. Um, and I think that's going to be the deciding factor always in football forevermore. Uh, unless you very specifically go out and, you know, counteract a certain team's way of playing, like a Rio might do against the Barcelona, you know, then you might have some joy. But no, no Barca fan wants, I, I mean, this is a debate that I've seen raging online, actually, is do you want more of a pragmatic manager who's willing to do that or, a, or an idealist? I think most Barca fans want the idealist. I don't yeah. know about you. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think when... I think the truth came through with Inesso Valverde to answer that question. Yeah, exactly, that, exactly. Right? I mean, that, that was the answer to that, that Inesso Valverde won two the Ligas in a row, won the Copa del Rey, and it wasn't good enough because I, I think people were demanding to enjoy the football that Barcelona were playing a certain way. And I think that's that's also like that idea, right, at, at the very heart of being a Kool-Aid is also why the internet hates Barcelona fans mm. so much because not only have they won, but they also have a... I mean, you could say it's a bit of snobbery, right? They want to win in a certain way. And mm-hmm. they're very critical of their own success when they don't even win the way they want to win. And and so, I mean, that's why Ernesto Verde was seen as this awful manager of Barcelona when he won two straight La Ligas. And he won, what was it, like 72 or 74% of all man, uh, matches at Barcelona. And yeah. he's still, right? he's still like eviscerated and seen in, in disgust these years later. So last question then about, you know, kind of taking that idea to the next level that with PK... It's interesting to me that with PK, that squadless announced, you know, this is his final match at home against Almeria here. And you see Chadi Riyad getting promoted for the first time. And there is no, again, again, PK, 14 years, club legend, all that stuff. Like there is no like replacement or that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that seeing a young center back thing being brought up, called up in this match. So before January comes, and I mean, with the World Cup, the way it is, like this might be the only match of the season that Chadi Riyad gets called up because if Inigo Martinez is bought in January, then you don't like Riyadh is probably even done at Barcelona, like in the long term, right? Because now Barca are going to have five center backs for the next three to five years ahead of him. So then Riyadh's career is over already, right? So I just want to make people very clear of that, that these Barca athletic players, it's all about the opportunity you have, who's in front of you, and even if you're able to seize your opportunity. Because Riyadh, to see him called up to this match is surprising to me because when Barca athletic have been struggling the last month, he's been struggling as well. He's been one of the worst players for Rafa Marquez. When they started so well in the first month in September, he was one of their best players. And it seems like Barca Athletic have kind of gone as he's gone this year. And he's been really good at times. And again, when they've struggled, he's defensively, it's, it's been rough. And he didn't look ready for the league for the last month. But here he is potentially to show what he has. And I, I, he also is just there in case of emergency. So I don't expect to see him in the game at all. And it's going to be a, a final farewell for, for 
or PK. And because they have Eric Garcia and Christensen and, and even Alonzo can play at the left center back position and then PK. So I don't expect to see Riyadh. The other player there is Casado. And thinking about the Victoria Pilsen match, we saw Casado, we saw Sanz come on later. And I don't think there's an easy answer to this. And I don't think it's like black and white here. But do you think it's more important for young players? And, and I want to use midfielders in particular. A midfielder like Casado, who from the very time I saw him at the first time of the U16s, he is very much a, when I say system player at Barcelona, he just, he does everything you'd expect a Barcelona midfield to do. He doesn't have anything that makes him special in any way, but he moves the ball well. He wins tackles as a pivot, as many tackles he needs to win. He's not potentially great in the air, like any Barca pivot usually isn't very great in the air, but he gets the job done again with winning those 50-50 balls. He's very, very intelligent positionally, but he does not wow you in any way. And it seems like he can fit in Xavi's system and in a quote-unquote 4-3-3 in a Barcelona system, but he, again, does not have these individual qualities that are going to make fans fall in love with him or go crazy about him. So do you think it's more important for players like Acasado to come out and just look like they fit in that system? Or do you need to see something individual from them that says they have this elite skill that that Xavi can mold and Barcelona can use down the road? Uh, I think it depends really on the, the makeup of the team that you're going into. So, I mean, every team is going to have some players that aren't particularly flashy or aren't particularly game-changing in a lot of ways, but they perform the basics well enough that that around those game changing players they perform an important function so you know that probably would have been an apt description of Busquets you know many many years ago I know Busquets obviously has so much to his game in terms of his press resistance and the way that he can move the ball and manipulate it to be an oncoming player and things like that but I would actually argue that Gabi is that player today I mean I saw Gabi as a youth level and he was that game-breaking really special player who had more quality than everyone around him and now his role with the first team for the last two seasons has been playing his role in Xavi's system to the T, to the letter. That's why he's mm. been more influential in the team than Kessier was. Because mm. Kessier kind of came in, oh, this is the profile of a player that he is, and you have to use his skill set. And if he's not utilizing his strengths, then he's going to suffer a little bit, which he has. When Gabi, I mean, he's exactly what Xavi wants to do in that position, except he does need to add more things to his game, certainly. But again, he does exactly what Xavi asked, to the letter. Actually, I think Xavi has become that position, that, that that kind of player, as you say. Yeah, yeah, potentially. And, you know, again, it depends on the makeup of the team, because if you're doing that and the players around you, that if you're doing that and that unlocks, you know, something else some space or, or opportunity for the players around you to, to create threat and score goals, um, then that's OK, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with being that player if it's serving the team um, and it's allowing the team to be successful. And that could potentially be the case in the, the pivot role. Frankie Diongo's player, who's obviously completely the opposite, who who cl- quite clearly brings something extra to that position that wouldn't typically be there. Um, but if it's at the cost of the fundamentals, at the basics, do you want to trust him there? You know, for 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 the the foreseeable future. So, as an academy player, if you're looking at a position that is currently, you know, as the the pivot role is for Barca, is currently. Um, you know, not stocked very well, then it's very possible that just doing the basics and being good enough. <laughs> I know you can't ever just be good enough at Barca. So, we're, you know, we are talking at a certain level here. You've got to be elite at what you do. So when we say good enough, we mean you can perform this task to to an elite level, but you're not, you know, you're not delivering a, a, a 70-yard 
diagonal into your to your wing or anything like that. Um, if he can do these the fundamentals of the role to an elite level, then yeah, I think in a position where, like I said, the the position is understocked, he has a good shot of of making a name for himself. Um, how old is is Casado? Nineteen. Okay, so you know he's not crazy young. Um, he he should be able to compete physically, and and yeah, I mean it's very unlikely that he that he gets a you know significant run in the first team or anything like that. But I think if he if he shows that he's ready and able, and that opportunity arises because you've got to be lucky as well as a young player coming yep. through, that 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 opportunity has to be there. Somebody gets injured or you know there's gap in the squad or whatever. And he steps up and he does a job. And when he does a job, the team wins. Then he'll stay there. It's that simple. So I think that's answered your question. Yeah, I think it did. I mean, Xavi clearly liked him enough to have him in the preseason. When the, before the team left for the US, he had him in the preseason. Actually, he played him at right back too. Uh, there's some versatility with him. And every squad does need guys number 23, 24, 25. And, you know, as I always say, I mean, there are... Barcelona seems to, in recent seasons, be able to find players eight through 16 like they can find mm-hmm. the players that reinforce the squad and, and and elevate but obviously other than Messi who was one for a long time you know the level of players three through six was concerning the last few seasons mm-hmm. and then they I mean, especially the last two years now the numbers 22 through 25 especially last year it was non-existent it completely dropped off into an abyss so yeah, as far as the Frank and Young question goes, Jaleel, that is a show for another time. So I want to give us oh, yeah. to give us stuff to talk about uh, in the future, and that'll be one, especially at the pivot position, that you and I could do a whole show on uh, individual. I think people would, would love to hear that in the future. So anyway, Jaleel, you can find him. Uh, that's kind of the fast last time I'm going to say Jaleel because it's the purest from here on out. When you're looking <laughs> him up, when you're finding him on social media, when you're especially finding him on YouTube, because congratulations, you know you have I think 400 less videos than me on YouTube uh, in 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 four or less years, and yet you've already exceeded my subscriber count. So clearly you're doing something right on YouTube. So yeah, definitely check him out on YouTube. Uh, follow the links through the show notes below through his Twitter, and you can find him on social media, as I said, and especially follow his YouTube stuff and uh, coming out with tremendous, tremendous content on a very regular schedule as well. So thanks so much for coming on the show, The Purist, as I said, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch everybody soon. So again, Twitter and Instagram for us too, the Barcelona Pod, Close Facebook Group, Patreon, we're on YouTube as well, as I said. Maybe, maybe I'd like to have it be a competition, uh, the purest. I'd like it to be neck and neck, right, as you <laughs> on, on YouTube. So, well, hopefully we can get some friendly competition there as the World Cup gets underway soon. But we still have two Barca games left to go, including one tomorrow. So, most importantly, check in back with us as we continue to do Barca content for next week. But thanks so much for listening to the show. The next time we'll talk to you soon, of course, Barca. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.